three, two, one. fed up with sharing his prosperity with mankind. Why should mere mortals sit at the table with gods? So Zeus devised a plan. He would put mankind in its place. Prometheus, however, was not too fond of this idea, so he decided to pull one over on Zeus. He made a fool out of him. Zeus then sought revenge against Prometheus's benefactors against man, and Zeus took that precious fire from them. No longer could man heat up his food, stay warm during the winter, or fend off the monsters and beasts that roam the earth. Well, Prometheus wasn't having that either. He would not see mankind suffer like this. So, in the dead of night, he snuck into Olympus and stole fire back and brought it to mankind. This enraged the god king. And so Zeus, being fooled twice by Prometheus, put an end to the conflict. He sought out Hephaestus and told him to create woman. To create someone just like the man, but as beautiful as the goddesses. Someone with all the, the guile and curiosity with all the power and prowess, a vessel by which he could bring mankind's destruction. And he gave the woman, Pandora, a box. And in that box was all manner of chaos, plague, famine, curses, disease. He didn't tell Pandora what was in the box, but he told her, don't open it. He knew her curiosity would get the best of her. And so it did. And Zeus, through the woman, brought about the ruin of man. He would have his day in the sun, and man would be brought low where they belonged. And Prometheus, he would get his punishment too. Well, today we're going to kind of riff on this idea between man's relationship with God. In almost every culture, there is a creation myth. And in those creation myths, whether they be about our world or fictional worlds even, there is a theme that plays out. Man's strife with God. There is some war between the men and the gods. Or the gods have pulled back almost entirely. There are countless, countless stories where man tries to find his place with the gods or makes, makes do with the fact that they don't exist. Man has been wrestling with this idea for all of human history. So we're going to dip our toes in the water today and look at 
how we relate to God? What makes our relationship with our God different than any other culture? Um, so joining me today is my good friend Zach. Hi everyone. <laughs> we're gonna try and wrestle with this, and we're not gonna we're not gonna get any concrete answers, right? We're not gonna really put an end to this. Well, I don't know. I mean, we're gonna be looking at scripture the best we can. Um, but just know this is a huge sub topic, and you know we'll we'll see where it goes. <laughs> There's a lot we can say. Yeah, there is a lot we can say. So I think one of the first things we need to say is uh, we are uh, two individuals that are always striving to grow and better ourselves. And while we think we have some good ideas and good answers and good opinions, um, we don't claim infallibility. That's not for mortals. We don't claim to know all the answers because certainty um, cannot be proven and cannot be observed uh, in most situations. So that is also true in the creation story. So we're not here to, to say like, hey, we've observed this and we're saying this, but we are saying that there are lots of principles that we can learn from not just our creation narrative, but also other creation narratives and some common themes. So I, I think your, your story that you opened with, Jonathan, is fascinating because I immediately picked up on several parallels with our own um, Absolutely. story of the fall. Uh, mm -hmm. So first, let me say um, that when it comes to, you know, oh, it's the woman's fault. If it wasn't for that darn woman, um, let me first say that if Adam was doing what God had called him to do, that never mm -hmm. would have happened. Yep. So uh, anyway, I don't know why I wanted to start off with that. I just I feel like um, at times when we look at situations well, let me put it this way. I finished this great book last month called Adversity Quotia. I would highly recommend our readers look into it. Um, one of the things it talks about is this idea of blame versus ownership. Mm. And in lots of situations, it's very common for us to blame others and our situations for the things that were experienced. And it's true. You know, situations happen. Other people make certain decisions that are outside our direct sphere of influence that have an impact on us. Um, you can look at a lot of uh, international conflicts going on at the time of this recording, and you can see how those things will take place. Um, but one of the things that AQ talks about is how much can you take ownership of? Mm -hmm. And the it's a, it's a, it's hard enough for you to do the right thing and to make good decisions, um, much less worry about what other people do. So let's focus on ourselves and improving ourselves first before we point a finger at other people and say, you did this. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting too. So, um, I mean, that was one thing, like when I was trying to think about how am I going to tell this story, how, like I wanted to make sure I didn't put blame on the woman because the Bible doesn't do that for one, right? The Bible nope. says, uh, the man who was with the woman w was right there at that time. And all of create, all of scripture points the fall towards man. You know, it says, yeah, the woman was deceived, but it was, it was Adam's fault. Right. But even in that that uh, the Greek uh, creation narrative uh, with Prometheus, that story, it's not Pandora's fault. <clears throat> Zeus and the other gods put all those things in the box, and they they enticed her to do that. And uh, she was married to uh, Epimetheus, which is Prometheus's brother. So Prometheus mm -hmm. is forethought, and Epimetheus is hindsight. And so, or, or he who thinks last. So Zeus, like, intentionally married off 
Pandora to Epimetheus, knowing that Pandora's curiosity would get the best of her, and that Epimetheus would be too stupid to think ahead <laughs> and stop her from doing that, right? And so it wasn't Pandora's fault that the box was open. Yeah, she was just the agent by which Zeus delivered that curse. Um, so it wasn't her fault in that story either. Yeah. But anyway, before we, we get too deep into <laughs> dissecting uh, one creation narrative or the other, um, what, Jonathan, what makes Christianity, or at least like, you know, you and I both claim to, to be followers of Jesus, why would anyone want to consider that as a, a, a something to consider versus any of the other options that are out there when it comes to faith and value? Well, I think one has to do with uh, this idea of God's relationship to us. In so many, so many other faiths, either God is at at war with man or as at conflict with man to some degree, or uh, God is just absent, just does not care, uh, apathetic uh, would be a, a word to use there, is apathetic towards mankind. Um, it's just kind of an afterthought. You know, man is just some plaything that's out there to entertain God, and when 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 that plaything starts fighting back, he, he brings the hammer down. Right, and so there's this strife that always exists, but that's not the case with Christianity, and and a lot of people have perverted the Christian like the the has perverted scripture to think that way, to see God in that light as some big bully, and and no doubt um, even some of our listeners have probably felt that way that God was out to get them, that God hated them, or or there was some kind of um, like disappointment, right? That, that God um, wished that we didn't exist to some degree or like that we were just some uh, burden, right? But that is not the story that we get from Scripture. That's not the perspective that the Bible has. Um, it's it's very, quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're you're hitting on something point. So our relationship with God is, is different. Um, but what is even the source of that? And I think we get into this idea of inago day, um, mm. which just is, is Latin for this idea that we are um, in the, the image of. Mm. Uh, and so when we're talking about mankind in our creation narrative is that man is made in the image of God. And what, what does that mean? Okay. So what does it mean to have likeness of something? Um, so when I look at my oldest son, um, he is my spitting image. Um, he's not just my spitting image though. He's literally my carbon copy, mm. uh, his personality, uh, the, his temper tantrums and what he has temper tantrums about, mm. uh, they're all very much what I would have done when I was his age, mm. or at least that's what my mother tells me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's this idea of that my son is, is my image. Mm. Um, his hair is the same texture. His eyes are the same. Uh, his facial structure is the same, obviously uh, a, a great deal more minuscule uh, just because he's, you know, he's, he's under three uh, and I, and I am um, uh, almost 10 times that amount. Uh, so there's a little bit of a difference there, but the, the idea that you can look at my son and know that I am his father. 
and that there's a lot of, of philosophical discussion. Um, one of the other heretics that we have on the main line, I'm sure uh, Thomas would love to go into this in greater detail. Mm -hmm. um, but th this is something that's really uh, almost the bedrock of why our relationship is so different. Because um, what makes our God so unique? Well, he's a triune God. Mm. And he's a triune God because he is in perfect alignment with himself. Yeah. He's three in one. And so we are made in that image, which means that we have inherent worth when it comes to connection. Mm. Mankind is at its core interpersonal. Yeah. And that's one reason why, like, when you start seeing conflict between people and you get that nasty feeling in your gut, or when there's some sort of conflict, even with people that you don't even know, you just feel sad. Because it's a natural breakage of what is inherent within the human genome, which is that connection and the desire to be in alignment with other people. Yeah. And that's expanded between us and God because God is that way at his nature. Yeah. There's, there's a few things to, to, to pull out here. Um, one is that um, just that idea of of that connection of being the image, right? I'm, I'm not a father, but, uh, I get told a lot that I have, I have three nieces, right? And one of the things that, that, uh, is often discussed around there, around them is like, oh, she, she's kind of like Jonathan was when she was this age, or she's just like, uh, my other sister when she was this age or she, and so there's that familiar, familiarity there, like, some of that image, even though like that's not my that's not my kids, right? So <laughs> that's not direct, but there is still some of that like I can see parts of who I was in my nieces or um, with some kids that I've mentored in the past where I have uh, been a big part of their life in mentoring and discipling them and I start to see certain quirks that are true about me get passed on into them. Or, or some of my guitar students, right? And there is this immense amount of of pride there, and and I believe in a healthy manner. I believe, you know, obviously we've in our main line we're talking about the vices, and pride is one of those. But and there's a healthy aspect of it, and there's this this sense of like, I see myself in that person, mm. and that creates this this love and this pride um, because I see myself in them. And, and it, as an imperfect human being, there are flaws in that, right? But from God, looking at mankind and saying, like, you are mine. Like, part of me is in you. That kind of an idea. There is this, mm -hmm. like, that brings about that love. Like, I am in you. Like, part of you is me. Mm -hmm. There's this intense love that comes out of that. And, and that's, I mean, even going back to the Greek myth, they, they created mankind with parts of themselves, with aspects of themselves, but that didn't like elicit any kind of love. It, it elicited jealousy and envy, if anything mm -hmm. else, but that's not the case with our God. It, no. It's, it's, I love you because you are like me. And so that's that's a huge element when we're talking about the image of God and our relationship with God is just recognizing that um, aspect mm -hmm. of it. Well, I, I think um, 
two books that would be uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention them here as being potential books to read when it comes to uh, the attributes of God are by A.W. Tozer. Um, and there's they're simply called the attributes of God volume one and attributes of God volume two. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't gotten into them, Audible has them. Um, but yeah, those would be some great books to read to read when it comes to the attributes of God, because ultimately the reason why man has worth is because of who God is. Mm-hmm. And unlike the other creation narratives, like the man doesn't have worth because, um, you know, at danger of being called abrasive and insensitive, the other gods don't have worth. Mm. Mm. Either either they are uh, bickering amongst themselves um, or jockeying amongst themselves for validation, power, authority, something like that, or um, they they've created mankind as a a esteem pump or they're using humanity as a tool for some other sort of grand venture or play things because they're bored which again is another defect but anyway the the we can have more discussions about that Hmm. at some other point but the reason why mankind and christianity has worth is because god is perfect and in his perfection he has chosen to place within us that ability to create things and while mankind is not perfect, um, now, you know, I, I hear my old uh, philosophy instructor right now saying, was uh, Adam perfect in the garden before the fall? Um, and so I remember mm-hmm. the, the, a lot of philosophical conversations there. I, I think what my particular class came to the decision of was no, mankind was not perfect, but we were whole. Mm. And and then after the fall, we were no longer whole. We were now less than, right? But not not perfect. But anyway, again, that's another discussion for another day. Back to this idea about relationships. So, um, two of the very strong metaphors that we get in Scripture of God's relationship to man is marriage and um, as a father to to children, and mm-hmm. so I think that's. That's an important un- concept to to think about. Obviously, it's deeper than both, right? Any any metaphor that we have in scripture, any image, is just is just that. It's 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 just a a a single lens by which we can view the truth that that that's behind there. But what are some what are some elements? Uh, being a husband and a father. What are some elements that you see in those relationships that that help you understand your relationship with God? Oh, so um, I have a very dear friend who, at one point in his wisdom, told me, um, Zach, you're going to find that your understanding of Scripture is going to expand when two events happen. The first one is when you become a husband, Mm. and the second one is when you become a father. And um, I found that to be absolutely true, that um, I, I've grown up reading the scriptures my entire life, um, memorizing them, studying them, different elements of personal study and dedication. But certain passages just had different influences on me when I became a father and when I became a husband. Not that I hadn't read those passages before, but they just hit me differently. And um, another one of my mentors likes the phrase that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Um, in in churches, it's often using the phrase that 
the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what you need in that moment. Mm. And so that's one of those reasons why we're told to constantly spend time in the living word, to spend time in the scriptures, because hopefully you're not the same person reading it as you were a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. And so as you grow and learn and develop, you find yourself saying, hey, this hits me differently today than it did then. But specifically to the relationship component you're talking about, as a husband, when Jesus is talking about his extreme jealousy, you know, I made a solemn vow before, I think my wife invited 400 people to our wedding. Um, I maybe had 20, uh, but that's mostly because of the location, not necessarily because of uh, who was liked more or not, but she's very popular amongst everyone she meets. But the the point is um, I that... I would be dedicated to her and her alone that by saying yes to my wife, I was saying no to everyone else to quote C.S. Lewis. Um, And it's that idea that there is an extreme protection and desire for exclusivity that is there. And the passages in scripture, when it comes to Jesus caring for his church, they had so much more of a like, Oh, I get it. That's more what it means. Um, Or when God's talking about the love of a father for his son. Um, I almost, like my wife says it this way, and I like the way she says it, that it is almost more loving for someone to compliment and spend time with my children than it is with me. Hmm. And that's something I never would have thought of because, again, before I was a father, you know, I, I just didn't think that way. But it is a bigger compliment for me as a father for you to say, my son is so smart or my son looks so cute than it is to compliment me directly. Hmm. And that's because they are my offspring. They are my children. And so those are some some different elements that I don't know if that's necessarily what you were looking for, but that's kind of what popped in my head as yeah. far as how that relates to your question. Yeah. Have you have you um, spent much time reading uh, Hosea after becoming a, a husband? <laughs> no. Uh, I've intentionally <laughs> avoided that uh, minor topic. <laughs> Um, mainly because, uh, God has not called me to the lifestyle and I thank God every day that he has. <laughs> that, that I am thinking of the right one, right? His, his wife. Yes. Was, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a tough are. one. Right. But that, yeah. I mean, that, uh, that shows that, that you were taught, you know, that dedication, that jealousy, that exclusivity of, um, I mean, it's looking at a negative light from the, the perspective of the wife, but it shows yeah. it's a, a great example of. Because, I mean, as as Christians, as the church, as the bride of Christ, I mean, we are imperfect. We are fallen. Yeah. And uh, I thank God time and time again that he is a husband like Hosea who pursues me after I uh, wantonly go after all other uh, consorts, right? Like, he yeah. pursues me despite that. He yeah. he will uphold his vows despite me up, not upholding mine. Um, yeah. So I, I was just wondering if you had, had delved back into that that ver, or that uh, that book since becoming a husband. No, but uh, to your credit, though, it it is easier for me to understand that story as a husband mm. than it was before I was a husband mm. because of that commitment and exclusivity and that solemn desire to say be faithful. Yeah. Um, beforehand, it'd be like. Well, must have sucked to Ben Hosea. Hope God doesn't call me to that lifestyle. <laughs> but the the lesson just has a lot more of a of a potency to it now that yeah. I am a husband because it's like, gosh, like in that moment, 
that's how I would feel. And God, just having a lot more, more, more personalization. Um, one of my, some of my friends, they call that, that kind of element of is known as relatability mm. that I've experienced that. So I can relate to that mm. more. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to say about uh, this relationships, because I know, um, you know, I've had some friends who not the greatest relationship with, um, with their parents, right? Maybe not the greatest yeah. relationship with their father. Um, or, you know, I've had friends who've gotten divorced and, mm-hmm. you know, that idea of a spouse isn't, uh, very pleasing to them because they haven't mm-hmm. experienced a good relationship with that. Uh, one of yeah. the, one of the, uh, so a little bit of levity, but some seriousness behind the, the idea. Um, you've watched Avatar, right? The mm-hmm. last airbender. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a, there's a, a meme that got floated around a while back that, um, if you never had an Uncle Iroh, be the Uncle Iroh you wish you had. Yep. Right. And so yep. even if even if you didn't have a great relationship with your your father or with your spouse, uh, maybe that relationship has been soured in your life. That doesn't mean that God will treat you like those people did. He's the perfect mm-hmm. husband, the perfect father, and there is there is a chance for you to be better than how you were treated and 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 god is better than how you were treated as well right yeah. so that that's something to redeem those aspects if, if that those metaphors aren't exactly uh pleasing to you yeah so you're bringing up a great point and something the way i would say it would be that remember that all of the physical truths that are talked about in scripture are reflection of spiritual truths mm. So it's not a direct correlation. So, uh, you know, in hermeneutics, there's the talk about how God doesn't have a physical form. And Mm. so when we say his right hand, okay, we're not talking about God's literal right hand. Um, Or when we say God's face, we're not saying like, hey, he has a nose, maybe Mm. a beard, might be white. No, we're not (laughs) saying any of that. So keep that in mind when we're talking about that. So when we say God has gender, Mm. the same thing Mm. is true. So like the comparison of God, the father, like we're not saying that these are the literal gender roles that he's holding. Um, Like even there, I use the term he uh, in reference to God. The the thing to remember is that these are are ways for us to start to understand our unknowable God. Right. And the reason why we have even these ideas of who he is, is because of the language that he chooses to use for us to kind of maybe often wrong perceive that relationship right so uh, again when we're saying like hey if you had a a situation where someone ruined uh, a title or a position that is used in scripture um first off uh if you need to seek professional help please do Uh, there's no shame there's no shame in that let me let me say that as someone who cares very deeply about that subject the other thing is that like Jonathan was saying, that doesn't mean that you can't find someone who could redeem that. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you had one bad experience. Um, just I'll put it this way. Just because I had one bad experience at Taco Bell at 3 a.m. in the morning doesn't mean I don't still go to Taco Bell. Amen. <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, one of the things that I do want to, to bring up, uh, and maybe just briefly, um, what... 
so we know that God has this desire for us for a a an amazing like he he's seen as a comforter as a peace giver as a corrector right as a disciplinarian yep. right because yep. he disciplines those he loves um uh-huh there there's all these elements of but i mean if we're honest that's a good relationship to have right yep if i don't correct yep. my guitar and my guitar students i don't really care much about them i i just want a paycheck right that's that's not a healthy relationship so mm-hmm. we need that we need that discipline but we can see in scripture that god has this great desire for a a beautiful relationship between himself and his creation what yep. is it that keeps us from experiencing that if that is what he wants why isn't that so okay so the second part of your question i i think i have a better understanding about and i'll use the example of my son again so um when my son runs into the kitchen because either i'm in the kitchen or some, like i'm not in the kitchen regardless he runs into the kitchen. I might say, um, get out of the kitchen. And at the moment, that might just be chastisement. As far as he knows, I'm ruining his fun. He's just having a blast. He's running around. And he's like, why does my dad not want me to be in the kitchen? There's not a rail or a fence that keeps me out of the kitchen or anything like that. What's the big deal? And in that moment, he might be tempted to think like, oh, my dad's such a jerk. He's just trying to be super controlling. But what he doesn't realize is that I know there's a lot of sharp knives in the kitchen. I know there's a lot of hazards for him in the kitchen. Um, uh, the, the cabinets, uh, as best as they can be, aren't all child safe. And there might be like cleaning detergent and things like that. Um, and so when I am trying to discipline him and maybe have a little bit of correction in one regards, that might be painful, that might hurt, that might cause a little bit of frustration, but not nearly as much as the other dangers are that I'm trying to steer him away from. Mm. And so that's something to remember when it comes to discipline. I think a lot of people have a negative connotation about discipline, again, due to either personal or secondhand experiences that they have heard or or experienced. Um, Discipline is I'm doing something for the ultimate benefit that could be far more painful. Mm. Yeah. And so like if I'm cooking and my son wants to watch me cook eggs, he's more than welcome to like, again, he's in the kitchen with dad. He's seeing what's going on. But as soon as he starts to reach out for that hot stove, I'm going to sharply say, Hey, hot, because I don't want him to touch the hot skillet and have a mark or burn or have that awful experience. Mm. So far, he hasn't, but one day he's going to, and he's never going to touch a hot stove again. But if I can spare him the pain as long as I can, I want to because I don't want my son to be in pain or to hurt. That's not fun as a parent. Right. So there's there's that element of it of there are things that we just don't know. There's a greater mm-hmm. plan that we often don't see. And, and sometimes that seems like God being harsh with us, God yep. taking our fun away. You know, and and we're we're mortals. We're limited. We don't we don't know all there is to know, and so that can that can throw a block in in our relationship sometimes if we don't perceive it correctly, right? Yep. But um, another element, and this is I'm glad you brought that up for sure. 
um, where I was thinking about going was, uh, well, and this is good. This is good. I, I'm, I'm glad because I don't, I don't always know. I don't always consider all the options. And so it's good. This is why, this is why I don't do these podcasts alone because, <laughs> because I'm not going to consider everything. Um, but, well, as Ray Kroc, as Ray Kroc once said, all of us are better than one of us. That's absolutely true. Um, and so, yeah, so the one element is we don't always see the, the, the end. We don't see the bigger picture. So that's yep. going to inhibit our relationship to some degree if we don't perceive that correctly. Another thing that can inhibit that relationship, that can keep us from experiencing the relationship that God has designed us to have, is sin, right? So I was going for surface level. You dug deeper. Um, <laughs> so sin, right? Sin can inhibit our relationship with Christ. Um, yep. Psalm 32, it's it's one of my favorite psalms. Um, all right. Uh, Psalm 32, here he is. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle, my brittle my groaning uh for my groaning all day long for your for day and night your hand was heavy on me my strength was drained as in the summer heat then i acknowledged my sin to you and i did not conceal my iniquity i said i will confess my transgressions to the lord and you will forgive the guilt of sin therefore let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately when the great flood waters come they will not reach him you are my hiding place you protect me in times of trouble um and so he's he's saying you know, pray to God immediately, confess to God immediately, go to him immediately, because when the floodwaters come, they will not be able to reach him. Um, the way I've heard it understood is that that sin is going to separate us, is going to keep us from coming to God. And it often does. We we know that in our experience, the guilt and the shame push us away from God. So when you feel it weighing on you, go to him immediately before something comes up, before you can't get to him. And not in some kind of salvific sense of like, if you don't confess your sins before you die, you're going to hell or something like that. We've already discussed that too. That's not what it means. But when you have a chance, go to him. Don't let guilt and sin and shame block you. Don't let all that stuff pile up and get in your relationship, get in the way of your relationship with him. Go to him immediately. When you keep that inside, when you are silent about your sin, it eats away at you, and it eats away at that relationship. I don't think I was overly heretical in that. <laughs> Maybe I took a little well, bit of liberties, if, but... Well, if you were heretical, that's what we're about, right? We're right. learning to discuss these things and have conversations, never from a stance of concrete, but always one of clay, because yeah. we always want to make sure that we're molding to God's truth. Um, but no, so bringing up what you just said there, I think that's something that the one way that I've always thought about it, because I've had, I've had individuals come to me and ask, well, what about this sin? Mm. And they mention a certain sin. They're like, how can that person be a Christian if they live this sinful lifestyle? Mm. And something that I typically do is I typically throw it back to them with another sin. And I'll say, well, what about this sin? Is that sinful lifestyle? any less atrocious than this sinful lifestyle. And um, normally I get a look that says no, or someone will say, well, that's not as bad. And again, good times and places for those kind of conversations. But the, the, the way that I view it in regards to this topic is the idea of anointment. Mm. So in the old Testament, anointment was modeled through some, a priest or 
uh, a man of God taking some oil and pouring it on their head and anointing their head with oil, saying that I have set you apart um, in reference to just the Levitical sacrifices and how all that played into the religious system of the Jews at the time. But for us as believers, um, I viewed that as, okay, so if we have the Holy Spirit residing within us, if I am abiding with Christ and I am in his anointment, I am fully maximizing the potential that God has given me through my mission field, my skills, my talents, my experiences, everything's just in perfect unison. Um, Versus if I'm actively living out a sinful lifestyle of some degree, I am still a child of God. I still have his image in me. I might still be a born again believer, but I might not be as effective. Mm. I might not have as much of an impact. God might choose to use someone else who is more devoted and abiding with him in that moment. Not because he views me less because his love is perfect, but more along lines of I'm not setting myself up to fully experience the favor of God. Yeah. Well, I'm, I might, I might have got a little heretical there, but no, no, no. Uh, I think you're accurate. Cause all right. So we, we see both of these um, ideas. So in, um, in first John, it talks about uh, how um, no one who uh, goes on sinning or is walking in the darkness um, can say that they're in the light, right? They're a liar mm-hmm. and the truth is not in them. Right. Oh, and it's yeah. actually specifically talking about hating your brother. Like that's mostly, you know, it's it's a little bit more blanket, but it, it's also in in context of hating your brother. You can't continue to hate your brother and call yourself a believer. That's just not that. Mm-hmm. Paul also talks about this too. You know, should we, you know, because uh, because of sin, grace abounds. Should we continue sinning so that grace abounds right. more? No, you can't continue in sin and still call yourself a follower of Christ. You can't live that way and continue. However, we do see in Corinthians and from Paul himself, in Corinthians, they're a very immature church, and they're doing a lot of wrong things. But, how, but Paul still calls them Christians. He still uses the term of, of children of God, while still talking about them being immature Christians who are drinking milk when they should be eating spiritual food. All right. They need to get off the bottle and and start actually following. And so they're living in a sub sub Christian manner, if you will. And Paul still uses the term of Christians for them. And then Paul himself talks about how he, one has a thorn in his side that God has refused to take out. I, I prefer to interpret that as, as some kind of sin problem. I don't think it's a physical I mean, I can't be certain of that, but I can be certain of this. He talks about how there's a war between his spirit and his flesh, and he does not do the things he knows he ought to do, and he does the things he knows he ought not to do. And so I think the line there, it's it's why Paul tells us to test ourselves to see if we are, in fact, in the faith. Mm -hmm. The spirit is who testifies to us. Right, so there, there's a lot of nuance there, but I think your point still is valid. That regardless of that salvific aspect, if you are living in sin, you are being less effective. You're mm-hmm. not. You're not. Your mind isn't focused on what the Holy Spirit wants. Your mind isn't focused on Scripture. Your thoughts are not on God, and therefore your actions will not be in line with God. 
And if that's the case, then you're not being effective as a follower of Christ. You're being less effective. And why? It's just not wise to use you if you're not going to be useful in your fullest capacity. Now that God couldn't use you, but there are other people. You're going to do more harm than good in certain situations because your mind is on other things than what it should be on. Yeah. I, I think another helpful way to think about this would be in my relationship with my wife, um, when we are uh, tilted, when we're not syncing up on an idea or a topic or there's a conflict, um, nothing's changed. We're still married to each other. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed. We still love each other. Um, that day might get a little tense at times. Uh, we might not be as effective with helping each other out and being each other's helpmate when it comes to different tasks or other things like that. Again, I think that just goes to show uh, a physical representation of the spiritual truth that you're talking about. Mm. Um, I'm still going to try to rectify it because I know I'm better together. Uh, One of the reasons why we make such a great team is that we cover each other's weaknesses very effectively. And I think that's something that, again, not to make an equal tick for attack comparison, but I think it's similar in that way when it comes to our, our obedience to scripture as well, that our God is a God of, of order and principles. And so when we're not following the principles, it's not a, an equal like, well, you did this, so therefore you're going to experience this. But I do think that there is this element of, okay, so these are, are some principles. You're not living by the principles, so you're going to experience these consequences, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, there are consequences. And then I, I think too, just the the guilt and shame often hinders us a lot too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't, I know when, when I fall into sin, I don't want to talk to God, you know, mm-hmm. or I mean, just in a human sense, when I was younger and um, when I disappointed my parents, when I did something that I knew I wasn't supposed to do, or I didn't do something that I knew I was supposed to do, I wasn't going to go talk to them. I was going to mm-hmm. hide, you know, I didn't want that. And we see that in David's life through Psalm 32, but it just in in a lot of the Psalms. Um, and you know from personal experience, like when you have that in your life, you, the last thing you want to do is come to God. The last thing yeah. you want to do is get close to Him and grow to Him, uh, grow with Him. And I mean, that's the first thing we should be going to do is, is going to rectify with Him. Um, but it that that shame and that guilt, man, it keeps us from it. It keeps us it keeps us out of that relationship. Um, yeah. So that's something else that one day I, I hope we talked about, Jonathan. The the roles of shame and guilt, mm-hmm. because those that we have them for reasons, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people have such a negative um, perspective and even the words themselves just feel like you need to take a shower afterwards. Yeah. So maybe one day, maybe one day we can tackle some of those topics. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm using them kind of interchangeably, but one of the things that I've looked at a lot is just kind of nuancing those words. They can help with getting definitions and understanding them better. But I think that that'd be a good subject to talk about. Um, one thing I want to kind of wrap use to wrap up with, and and so instead of leaving us in this down downward spiral here, is you know, all right. So God wants this relationship with us. Sin um, and our lack of perspective often hinder that relationship. And so, what's the what's the the solution? And I think 
the story of the prodigal son is the best parable that we get, the best story that we get to show that, you know, a a picture of an earthly relationship to show us how we ought to restore our relationship with God or, or how he seeks to restore us. Because it's, you know, the prodigal son came back, sure, but it was the father who sought to restore him, who gave him the ring, who gave him the banquet, who gave him the clothes, uh, and it was the father who was always at the edge of the driveway, just waiting for him to come back. The father that was gracious, the father that was loving, that wanted that right relationship and was just waiting for the son to return. For both sons, too. Honestly, we take a deeper dive, and I'm sure many people have heard this in sermons before, but the other son, the older son, was also a prodigal. He was also distanced from the father. And he did that himself. Both sons did that. But the father was there waiting, just seeking for them to come back. Right? Well, I, you bring up that, that particular story. I think something that some people can uh, can miss is um, we are actually both sons. That uh, we aren't supposed to say, I'm, I'm the younger son or I'm the older son. Um, you... You are supposed to be both. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to find yourself in both. Um, maybe not in all situations are you equally one or the other, um, but you've fallen into situations where you were the younger son and other situations where you were the older son. And God the Father is the Father. So I'm glad we brought that up. Yeah. And it's just important to to, to go back. And hey, I'm not going to pull up that passage. I want you to do that at home. You read that passage, right? That's how we restore the relationship. That's how we get that relationship back. That's the that's the happy turn at the end of it. Um, and it's so crucial that we we get this relationship with God right or, or moving in the... David read the passage last week that we love because God first loved. We can't love without knowing God's love. We can't truly love without knowing God's love. And so before we dive into any other relationships, those relationships won't be good. They won't be their best unless we have our relationship with God in order. They can't be because we cannot love. We cannot truly love unless we know the love of the Father. Uh, So we've got to get that right before we can start looking into any other ones. Zach, you got anything else for us here before we sign off? Uh, I don't know, man. For uh, for riffing it off, I think we we did a we did a lot of good stuff. I hope you have a a lot to talk about. Um, obviously, you can send us any of your questions. Maybe you want to have a conversation with us on any of the social medias that Borderline Heresies is a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would love to converse with you about that. A reminder that we are praying for you guys as you're listening to our, our content. Mm-hmm. Uh, this content is created not just for our enjoyment, but mostly for your benefit and the desire that you continue to grow and strengthen your relationship with our Savior. That's right. Well... Uh, Dave is not here to tell us that it's time for the music, so I guess, yeah, I guess why well, I will. Yeah, it's, it's time for some jams. 